All right, if you open your Bibles, please, to the uh, book of Colossians. And uh, we, we had some outlines printed up that did not come with the bulletin today. Do we have any of those left? Okay, you only get an outline if you're going to take notes. This isn't for your things to do list or your shopping list, but if you take notes in church and you want an outline, you don't have one, hold your hand up. Uh, Jennifer, would you stand? We One over here, back here. Uh, if we get low, Jennifer, on what you have, make them show you their pen or pencil before you give them notes. I really appreciate uh, Dave and the opportunity to uh, to be able to speak today. And uh, sometimes I'm absent. If you look around and I'm not here, uh, last week I was preaching in Missouri. I did a uh, Share Your Faith seminar in Missouri and uh, preached at a friend's church there. The week before that we were in Oregon. So, But rest assured... If I'm not here in the services, I'm either at another church somewhere or I'm sick. Uh, Sunday morning, I love to be with God's people. I have a story that I want to share with you that was uh, sent to me by my wife's best friend. And the story is called Burial at Sea. Chrissy and Barbie, two blonde sisters, had promised their uncle, who had been a seafaring gentleman all of his life, to bury him at sea when he died. Of course, in due time, as all of us do, he did pass away. The two blondes kept their promise. They set off from Clearwater Beach with their uncle all stitched up in a burial bag and loaded him into the rowboat. After a while of rowing, Chrissy says, You think we're out far enough, Barbie? And Barbie slipped over the side Finding the water only knee-deep, she said, No, not yet, Chrissy. So they rode out farther. Again, Chrissy asked Barbie, Do you think we're out far enough now? Once again, Barbie slips over the side and almost immediately says, No, this will never do. The water's just up to my chest. So they row on and on, and finally Barbie disappears over the side one more time. Quite a while goes by. And poor Chrissy is really getting worried. Suddenly, Barbie breaks the surface, gasping for breath. She said, is it deep enough yet? And she said, yeah, it's deep enough. Hand me the shovel. (laughs) Now, how in the world this fits in with a message today? Uh, I guess it's like this. All of us are going to die someday. We have a limited amount of time for influence to do good for God and to influence our families and our friends for Him. So we need to get busy. A poet said, the clock of life is wound but once and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time we own, so live, love, and with a will. Place no faith in tomorrow for the hands may then be still. Look at me, please. In the eyes, I have a message for you. Life does not revolve around you. 
It takes a long time to learn that lesson. When we get married, that helps us learn. When we have children, we learn a whole lot more. It's a lifelong process. My wife and I used to have severe problems at vacation time. Because at vacation time, we really thought life revolved around us. You don't want to hear about the vacation we took to Yellowstone Park with our youngest daughter. Wow! Life does not revolve around you. Life does revolve around Jesus Christ. History is His story. You remember, those of you who were here, what we learned at the beginning of the study of Colossians? We learned about the reality of the centrality of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 15 for a moment. For He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him all things consist. Now we have been told that we are losing America's greatest generation. Those who survived the Depression and brought us victory in World War II. They had amazing accomplishments. I agree that they were a great generation, but I do not believe that they were the greatest generation because they failed to pass down to their children that great Christian foundation. And without that spiritual foundation, we as a nation are doomed. We will soon be tossed into the trash can of the once great nations of the world like a moldy crust of bread. But we have gone from... a the thus named America's greatest generation, to surely America's most narcissistic generation. We are a people that are drowning in self-love. If I could sing well, I would lead us all in that wonderful song, let's sing about the greatest love of all, that is the love that I have for myself. But Christian, it is not about you It is not about me. It is about Jesus. We have far more to live for than just acquiring the next new car or great electronic device. We believers have been delivered from depravity and placed into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. We have been brought out of darkness into His glorious light. We are reconciled. We are now in a right relationship with the God of the universe. We are part of His family. One quick caution. If you look in your Bibles, you have your Bibles open to Colossians 1, don't you? Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, For indeed you continue, if you indeed, if you indeed continue in the faith grounded and steadfast, 
and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. We are part of God's family. We must continue to walk with Him in light and in love. Now look down at verse 28 and 29. And then we're going to get to our text. Verse 28 says, Him we preach. If you don't like the word preach, you can say proclaim. Same meaning. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That is our goal. That is the purpose of our life. To share, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ so that every man may know Him. Every woman may know Him. Every child may know Him. Whether they're here or in China or in Mexico or wherever they are on this land. That they may know Jesus Christ and one day be presented to God the Father perfect and whole and complete in Him. And Paul says in verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works mightily in me. He is the example of putting forth that kind of effort. Now, if you turn over to chapter 4, and we'll look at the few verses that we're looking at today, and they were so ably read to us before, let's look at them one more time. Chapter 4, verse 2, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also I am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time, let your speech all Ways be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer each one. Now, in my humble opinion, and I'm right 76.9% of the time, unless it's politically, then I'm right 98.3% of the time. The church in America is usually good in the following three areas. Facilities, Worship teams and programs. I think that the church is less than stellar in these areas. Prayer and witnessing and discipleship. Though the aforementioned items are important, wonderful music, great programs, nice buildings, we must remember that the primary calling of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring people into a relationship with Him where they become disciples. When almost every year, almost 50% of all of the churches in America do not baptize one new convert, it tells us that the church is not doing a very good job in disciple-making. As Dave told you, I'm a missionary with a group called Evangelism Explosion. In EE, when we pray for someone to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord, we tell them that there are five things that are going to help them in their growth. And those things are Bible reading, and prayer, and worship, 
and fellowship and witnessing. Are any of those difficult for you? Let's take a quick vote. Of those five, and you see them up on the screen, how many of you would say, of those disciplines, the most difficult for me is Bible reading? Anybody? Okay, raise your hands. Go ahead and hold them up. That's all right. All right. How many would say prayer is the most difficult discipline for you? Okay, about the same number. In fact, I think it was the same hands. Uh, how, how many of you would say worship is the most difficult? Okay, less there. Uh, fellowship with other believers. Okay? And uh, witnessing. How many say that's... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, we really are afraid to share Christ with others. By the way, Dave and I have been talking about uh, putting on a one-day seminar in the month of July in order to share with you a method of sharing the Gospel that's easy to learn, easy to remember, fun to share, and hard to forget. But it'll take you a day of your life in order to come to that seminar and learn from that. This passage of Scripture so naturally breaks down into two areas. Two of those five disciplines. One is pray, and the other... Well, we'll get to the other later. Are you known as a man or woman of prayer? Do your children... Moms and dads see you as someone who is constantly bringing before God the needs in your life. I had, I, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad got saved, I guess, when I was about four or five years old, and everything in my family changed. And my dad was a good Christian man. When the church doors were open, we were there. And, and back then, they were open Sunday morning, they had Sunday school, so we were there for two different uh, services in the morning, and then in the evening when I got old enough to go to youth group, we had two different services in the evening, so Sunday we were there most all day long, and then we were back on Wednesday night. When the church doors were open, we were in church. My dad was a constant, wonderful example of what a Christian was to be. And I credit, humanly, my salvation to my, to the prayers and to the example of my dad. But you know, I don't remember whenever there was a problem or a crisis in the family that my dad gathered us around and say, let's pray about this. This is something we can't handle. We need God. And, and, we live in a nation where that used to be normal among the population of our country. But that's not even normal in our churches anymore. There was a lady in a church that my wife and I started in Key Largo, Florida. Her, her name uh, was Ma Hopkins. Her husband was a retired truck driver out of Ohio. And Ma Hopkins told me of a pastor. She said, she said, Preacher, he was the prayingest man I ever knew. It seemed like anybody who went to him with a prayer request, God answered his prayers. You know, it has been over 30 years since Ma told me that, and I haven't seen her in, what, two and a half decades? I haven't seen her, and I'm sure she's off with the Lord now, but I remember her telling me that struck a chord in my mind, and I remember her telling me about that man. 
Did you know that the Bible gives us some unbelievably fantastic promises in the area of prayer, and yet we just so miss out in this area? I'm I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because I hope you'd be embarrassed if you couldn't raise your hand, but how many of you have a prayer list? You have a record of things that you're asking God for on a regular basis. And you record in that list when God answers your prayers. God does so many things for us, but but our faith is so weak. And one of the reasons why our faith is so weak is because we do not memorialize those things that God has done in our lives in answer to prayer. When we get to the place where prayer for us becomes as natural as breathing, we are going to have a joy that is unbelievable and a peace that passes understanding. Now, I'm I'm not there yet. But folks, I am moving in that direction. Uh, I, I uh, Just before I went to Missouri, and I, I had these things, I was looking for this, and I needed this, and I needed this, and I can't find this, and, and I'm asking God for those things. I, I, and, and, and God wasn't answering me. I mean, I couldn't find any of the things that I was asking for. Now, you say, that's not strange. Well, that is strange to me. Because I'm in a place now when I ask God for something I've lost, almost immediately He's answering my prayers. And, and, and I'm at the place where, where I'm beginning to believe that everything that I'm asking God for, He may not give it to me today, but He's going to give it to me. We in America, we believers, we Christians in America, we have these fantastic promises from God for prayer. And we don't avail ourselves of what God is offering us. Let's look at some key verses in prayer. These are all from the Gospel of John, just from three chapters. John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to be with my Father. Now, who did God say that to? The disciples. He told the disciples, you guys are going to do greater works than I did because I'm going to the... Now, if I made that up, that would be blasphemy, wouldn't it? But that's what Jesus told them. The next verse He says, and whatever you ask in My name, that will I do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 8. This is one of my favorite verses on prayer. Uh, oh, not verse 8. Verse, if, verse 7, I think it is. I put the wrong verse down in my notes. If you abide in Me, Jesus said, and My words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. Do you believe that? Do, do you believe that? Yeah, it's in the Bible. I, I, I think I believe it. By this my Father is glorified. Verse 8, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. John chapter 16, Jesus says to His disciples, in that day, 
You will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Whatever you ask in my name. These are amazing promises. They're almost like blank checks if we're totally surrendered to God and learn to walk with Him. Are we cashing those checks or are we living below the spiritual poverty level? Now, how are we to pray? Four sub-points here under this point. Number one, we're to pray with persistency. We are to continue earnestly in prayer. What does that mean? It means to persevere, to adhere, to continue steadfastly. When the apostles of the early church were having a problem, the first big problem in the church of Jerusalem, it had grown so fast. And so many people were following Jesus Christ. And now there's a problem with the widows and distributing food and making sure all the widows got their food. And so they came to the apostles and they say, what do we do? And the apostles said, give us some time. And they came back and they said, well, you choose out seven men that that are good report and a good reputation and filled with the Holy Spirit because we must give ourselves continually to preparing new programs and make sure that the facilities of the church building are in top-notch shape. Right? No, they said you choose out... Seven men to do this, to oversee this, because we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The first pastor of the Jerusalem church, his name was James. Several James in the Bible. So you've got to do a study to find out which one that was. You know what his nickname was? His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Because he spent so much time on his knees praying. And we have the average evangelical pastor in America today spends about seven minutes a day, maybe ten minutes a day in prayer. Because we think that by our ingenuity and our programs and our innovation, we can do the work of God. But we can't. Because God has given us the task of making disciples of Jesus Christ, and only the Holy Spirit can do that work. We can't do it. And so we need to pray persistently. We need to adhere. We need to persevere. Jesus gave one illustration to tell us how to pray. And that was the illustration of the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. And here's this widow and she's been cheated and she comes to the judge and she says, you gotta, you got to give me justice here. And the judge says, eh, get out of here, lady. She comes back the next day, give me justice. He says, get out of here, lady. Comes back the next day, give me justice. And the judge says, though I don't fear God or man, and I don't care about this woman, she is going to wear me out. Okay, you got justice. God is not without compassion. God prizes justice. And yet, in spite of this, God says we need to come to Him in prayer 
the same way that this woman came to this judge. And so we need to pray persistently. James 5 verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, we're to pray with persistence. We're to persevere. We're also to pray with vigilance. Let me show you where this word is used here and you understand the importance and its meaning. In Matthew 24, verse 42, it says, Watch therefore, Jesus said, because you don't know when your Lord is coming. Be ready. He may come today. He may come tomorrow. Watch. In verse 43, He says, If the, the good man of the house would have known when the thief was coming, he would have watched. In chapter 25, verse 13, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man is coming. And then in verse 26, when Jesus is in the garden, praying in the garden of Gethsemane, as He says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup one uh, from Me. And He said to His disciples, He says, Tarry here with Me and watch with Me. That is the idea of the vigilance of prayer. We are to give strict attention to. We are to be cautious. We are to be active. We are to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity should suddenly overtake you. May I ask you a question? Are you praying for this great nation of ours? Because there are not enough people that are watching in prayer because calamity after calamity after calamity is coming upon our nation. Are you praying and watching in prayer for your family? I have no clue where I would be if my dad had not, when I was 16 years old, went forward in a revival service and said, I am going to pray for my family and pray with my family every day. I don't know how I got it, but going through my dad's stuff after he dies, I have the commitment card that he signed when he went forward that I think was the day that God really began to work on my heart and bring me to Jesus Christ. Are we watching with that kind of perseverance? And then he says, with thanksgiving. Anybody not understand what that means? Do you ever get depressed? I am convinced that the number one reason that we get depressed is because we do not have hearts that are filled with thanksgiving for God, to God, for what God has done for us. Uh, as a pastor, most of my adult life, um, there, there are some things I love doing and some things, Dave, that just aren't so much fun. God gives different people different gifts and different temperaments. I was never given a temperament that wanted to sit and listen long enough to give effective counsel. When I was a young pastor, and I was young, I started pastoring at 21 years old, senior pastor. And, and people, I had a couple come to me for marriage counseling. What did I know? about counseling them in marriage. 
But I was a graduate from Bible college and I knew a not, and I just couldn't wait till they'd shut up and quit telling me their problems so I could tell them how they could fix these things. <laughs> My problem with marriage counseling is this. Most times a couple comes in, the wife says he is the problem and gives me a long list. And then the husband says she is the problem and gives me a long list. And nobody wants to work on their own problems. They want God to fix their mate. Remember what we said in the beginning, this is not about moi? I I, I had one couple who came in. We had three of us. We counseled as a team. And we had three of us counseling this couple and as we talked the first day, I want you to work on this, I want you to work on this, I want you to work on this, I want you to work on this. They came back the next week, they'd worked on that. They came back the next week, we did some more. They came. By, by the end of the third week, we said, don't come back anymore. Why? Because God had fixed their marriage. Because the husband was dedicated to working on his problems, and the wife was dedicated to working on her problems. I'd, Marriage count. I don't know why I did that today. I had a guy call me up. He finally came into the office one day, and he called me up, and 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 he was so depressed and living in depression. And my my wife and I have a nickname for people like that. I probably shouldn't tell, but we we call them Eeyores. Well. It's going to be another blustery day. And this guy was a triple Eeyore. I could not share with you how slowly he talked to me. You would get up and leave before the fourth word. But I told him, I said, I want you to put a list of ten things and I want you to every morning thank God for these ten things in your life. You know what he said to me? Ten? That will be awful hard. Fortunately, I didn't get angry. I said, can you see? Yes. I said, thank God for your eyesight. Can, can you hear? Yes. I said, thank God for your hearing. I said, we have a gal in our Sunday school class. She is both blind and deaf. Thank God you can see. I said, are you saved? Guess what his answer was? I don't feel like it. No wonder. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, just write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through verse 10. That is God's paragraph on mental health. I'd love to preach that sometime. It is an amazing passage of Scripture. It starts out with rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, then bring all your prayer requests before God, all of them, with thanksgiving. And then it says the things with are pure and honest and just and lovely. Think on those things. And then Paul said, the example that you have seen me be, do those things. And the God of peace will be with you. You will have the peace that surpasses all understanding. 
But we have to... The problem with so many people when we struggle through life is we'll bring our requests before God. Usually not often enough, but if we get depressed enough, well, what else can I do but pray? You can pray with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians chapter what? Chapter five, verse sixteen says, "Rejoice always, pray without ceasing." You say, "How can I pray without ceasing?" You ever have a hacking cough? <coughs> you ever have a hacking cough? Are you coughing a hundred percent of the time? No, but you cough a whole lot, and you're always on the verge of coughing. That's where we're supposed to get in our prayer life. We're talking to God like all the time. But if we're ever not talking to God, we're always on the verge of it. I mean, the next thing that comes up, we're just talking to God. So he says, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What? What are we to thank God for? No. No, no. Let me rephrase the question. What are we to thank God in? Everything. The will of God, I'm convinced, is not everything that happens in our life. You have a brother. You've loved your brother. You've prayed for your brother. You've cried for your brother. You've witnessed to your brother. Your brother dies without Christ and goes to hell. Are you grateful your brother's gone to hell? Not at all. But can you be thankful to God in the midst of that circumstance? God's will is, no matter what circumstance you are in, that you give thanks to God in the midst of that. God, my brother died without Christ. And it breaks my heart. But I'm so glad you loved him. I'm so glad he had a chance. I'm so glad he heard the Gospel. I'm so glad we have the opportunity to share the Gospel with others. I'm so glad you brought me into your family. And I'm your son, I'm your... In everything, find things to thank God for. In every circumstance, find things to thank God for. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And do not quench the Spirit. Do not let your emotions rust run your life. Trust God, obey Him, And I will guarantee you this, somewhere along the line, your emotions will follow in the right path. They will be where you want them to be, but we have to act first in faith and obedience to God, and the peace and the joy follows our obedience and follows our faith. Amen, Don, that was good. That's good. I needed that. Okay, what is the content of our prayer? So, we are... um, you, You know, it's... First of all, let me say this. We, we talk to God about everything. Whatever our needs are, whatever our desires are, we share those with God, right? Right? Okay. I'm sorry, I just came from the Bible Belt. People responded when you preached back there. I forgot we're in California now and we're just... Uh... But um, where am I at? I should add my wife read my outline, then she could help me out here. The content of our prayer. Don't spend too much time praying for Aunt Gladys's tricky knee. Okay? In 25 years, it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. Okay? Pray 
for those things that matter for all eternity. Okay? Pray for your family like their eternal welfare depended upon your prayers. Pray for your nations. If you, if you have, I, I have, I, I don't know, I've got about 60 people that I try to pray for every day. And I have about two to three hundred people that I try to pray for every week. If you have a problem thinking of things to pray for, talk to me. Okay? I, I, I can, uh, let, let me, sh- let me share this with you. I, I had a guy, Johnny King. Johnny King's sweetest guy in the world. Uh, he, he, uh, retired from working for PG&E. Not always the most competent man, but always the sweetest and the biggest heart. He introduced me to his mechanic. Basically, he said, I love this man. You're going to love him and bring him to Christ. And so we began to pray for Lloyd and try to be a witness to Lloyd. When Lloyd came, when Lloyd came to church the first time for his church service, he was Lutheran from raised in North Dakota. And he sat by my wife. And that Sunday I was baptizing somebody. He'd never seen anybody baptized. He looked at my wife. He said, that's the darndest thing I've ever seen in my life. He said, you're never going to get me in that thing. And, and two years later, I was baptizing Lloyd as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I told that story when I baptized him. About two years after that, Lloyd got sick. He's in a hospital bed in his room. His family gathered around. And we're sitting there all in a semicircle. And he calls me up to him. And he says, thank you for sharing with me the truth. Thank you for sharing with me the truth. And he said that like four or five times. I'm getting embarrassed. Here's his family around him. But at that point, the only thing that mattered to him was he knew that pretty soon he's going to take his last breath here. And he's going to take his first breath in heaven with his Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for telling me the truth. I have people who are in heaven waiting for me that I was able to share the gospel of Christ, that I was able to love and pray and see God work in their life and bring them into the kingdom. Have you ever prayed for your mechanic? Have you ever prayed for that guy or that gal that checks your groceries out or your postman or the lady that does your nails or your hair? People need Jesus Christ. And they're not going to know that they need Him unless somebody loves them and somebody prays for them. Content of your prayer. Have you ever uh, prayed for us, Paul said? Pray for your ministers. I want a story here. I can't share that now. Pray that God will open doors for the Gospel. Pray for persecuted Christians. There are websites that can help you do that. Pray that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of the lost that they may see and understand the mystery of Jesus Christ. One more point. Uh, I'm going to skip this too. I'm sorry. Proclaim. Last point, and I'll do this quickly. Proclaim to those who are without. The King James Version says, Walk in wisdom to those who are outside. That's uh, 
Uh, that's the new, uh, old King James. New King James, walk in, vi- in wisdom to those who are without. The word means echo, or the word is echo, and uh, it means without, out, strange. There are people in this world, most of the people that you know, oftentimes most of the people in your family are without light, they are without hope, they are without true wisdom, they are without God, they are without life. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the answer. And most of them don't even know what the question is yet. And the Bible tells us to walk in wisdom toward those who are without. And you all understand what wisdom is. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, always ready to give an answer to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Many of you, if someone came in to this church today and says, "What what do I need to do to be right with God? I want to know that I'm going to... Many of you could sit down with them and go through the Bible and share with... Some of you couldn't. You would just be a loss. You could share your testimony, but you really wouldn't know how to go through the steps to bring someone to Christ. I I had a guy once sit in my office about ten years ago, Dave. He he had built his business that he started from scratch was worth between thirty and forty million dollars. He had a wonderful family and then he went through some real troubles in his family. And he came and sat down with me and the second time I counseled with him, I was doing marriage counseling. Oh, what a blessing, marriage counseling. I, uh, by the way, if you have a husband, if, if you have problems and you say, I want to fix myself so I'll be a better husband, I want to fix myself to be a better, so I'll be a better wife, then I, I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you for as long as it takes. But if you want me to just hold your hand in your misery while you pour out your problems, I'm $125 an hour. Okay? <laughs> You want to fix the problems, I'm free. Otherwise, I'm a hundred and a quarter an hour. And that counts my five-minute break that I get in there too. The second time this man came in, I said, I want to talk to you by yourself. And he sat down. I spent about 30 minutes sharing the gospel with him. When I was done, he had a question. And then he had another question. And then he had another question. And then he had another question. And he had another question. Ninety minutes he sat there asking me questions that plagued him. At the end of that ninety minutes, the end of the two hours' time, he said, okay, I'm ready. And he prayed and received Christ. Most of you here couldn't do that. Some of you could, but most of you couldn't. But you know, when I first started leading people to Jesus Christ, I started out with older children and teenagers. I mean, that's that was all I knew. That was all I could do. But to see that light and joy come on a child's face or come on a teenager's face just lifted me up off of the ground. There's not a joy quite like seeing someone come to Christ, and especially if you know them through the years and you see them walk with the Lord through those years. What I'm saying is every one of us can learn something to be able to lead some people and be a good witness for Christ. But we need to continue to grow in that process our whole life long so that we become better and better and better. We're to walk in wisdom. And then what's the next thing that it tells us to do? And that is 
we are to be winsome. Always with grace. Seasoned with salt. I had a, a girl that I was dating in high school tell me, well, she says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. That means you need to ask, throw a few colorful metaphors in there. Because to her, well, salty language was what sailors used and they cussed a bit here and there. That's not what that's talking about. When it talks about seasoned with salt, it's like, uh, what's that guy? Uh, my wife and daughters watched the cooking Emerald Legacy. Damn! Let's kick that up a notch. Okay? The idea is, the season with salt is the wisdom that we have and the winsomeness that we have. We are to, by our attitude, by our love, by our life, and by our wisdom, draw people to us so that Jesus may draw them to Himself through us. Well, I just have a naturally, <clears throat> surely disposition. Get rid of it. That's why Jesus Christ came into you. That's why the Holy Spirit came into you is so that you would be a person who loves other people and it is amazing how people come to Christ because they'll listen to you when they know that you love them and when they know that you have wisdom. That's, that's all my time's gone. Window of opportunity. Redeeming the time. Anybody, anybody ever shop at Kmart? I couldn't remember when I, well, I, it was so great when I went away to college and I discovered Kmart. And then we, and why do I like Kmart? Because they had popcorn for a cheap price and I could go in and get popcorn and a Coke while I walked around and looked for bargains. Now it's Target. 99 cents for a Coke and a popcorn at Target. Amazing. But in Kmart, while I was there, I would hear, Kmart shoppers, flashing blue light special for the next five minutes and five minutes only. And so you had to run and see what it was. There might be something there that you needed. And it was on sale. But you only had five minutes. And if you were in the area, when the person was still, they'd put that tag on there for you and you'd go get it for half price or less, whatever it was. Folks, there's a flashing blue light special in the lives of people in this world. There is a limited opportunity of time. Moms and dads, you have so little time with your kids to influence them for God. And the only way that you're really going to influence them for God is if you are walking with God on a daily basis. The saddest words in the Bible, Jeremiah 8.20, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, You have given us an awesome, awesome responsibility and a most wonderful privilege of praying to the God of eternity and of loving people and sharing Jesus Christ with them. Oh God, get us out of our fears. Get us away. Cleanse us from our apathy. And help us to love You with all of our hearts. And then love people as You love them.
In Jesus' name, amen.